with Dennis Fithian on Detroit Sports, ready to get things underway with podcast number 36. He is the longtime voice of the Red Wings, Ken Cal, and he joins me here on the podcast. Ken, how you doing? Doing good, Dennis. How are you? Are you enjoying your day today? Uh, I am, except, you know, the, the heat. It was hot last week, but that humidity dropped about. Uh, 10 and you know I don't like to complain about the heat or anything but I will just for a second if it was about I don't know 5 10 degrees cooler and you could take the edge off uh, of that humidity I would say it would be the perfect day so not perfect but not so bad well I'll tell you what I've been out on the lake quite a bit and uh, it doesn't seem as hot as uh, I think you think it is so uh, I enjoy it out there <laughs> well, what do you do when, when you, uh, you you take your boat out uh, take me through the process there. You, you, is it already on the water? You just go, you got to get out there, hop in, and you're off just like that? Yeah, well, you got to wash it down, clean it up a little bit. The fish flies sometimes get all over it. This is uh, fish fly season now here in St. Clair Shores. But, yeah, you know, you hose it down, you get in, you take it out a couple of miles, float around, maybe throw uh, drown some worms, throw a fishing line out there, and uh, just relax a little bit and take in all the sunshine. It's actually pretty nice. Yeah, in years past, like before the pandemic, I guess you probably can't do that right now. But you know, what you have some like uh, you know nice spots, whether a marina or something like that. You you pull in there, maybe grab some lunch or something like that. Yeah, there's some spots uh, a couple miles away. There's brownies, and then there's the watermark, and that's at nine in Jefferson, and I'm around eleven in Jefferson. So it's a nice little two mile jaunt over there. And back in the day, you know, you could uh, you know dock your boat, head in, have a nice lunch or dinner and listen to some music and then head back out onto the lake. So it's pretty nice. Yeah, there's a lot of good things around here in St. Clair Shores. Uh, the water, I've always said, even when I was growing up as a kid, I said, you know what, uh, if if I have a chance to move out near the water and lake, you know, near Lake St. Clair, I want to do that. And certainly the opportunity uh, several years ago came up to where I can live out here and really enjoy it. Good community. What do you got, like a 30-foot yacht, something like that, uh, you know? Play-by-play, goes rolling around there. Uh, What's that like? No, twenty-seven foot. That's about. Uh, that's good for me, and it, it handles the water nice, and it's a nice-looking boat. And you know, I mean, it's it's nice. It can you can get five, six people out there comfortably and just have a good time. Nice. Did you ever take that boat from where you were at down to the old Joel Lewis Arena, and you know, have somebody that would dock like next door there, and you know, go to the rink that way? You know what, Dennis, I thought about that one time when we were in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I thought, you know, because when you get into May and June, the weather gets nice, you know. Oh, yeah. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll go down there and dock it next to the Joe. And, and I thought about it, but never really never really did that. Sometimes I, I, I haven't gone on any trips lately, but I've taken it south to Putin Bay, which is a nice trip, and then north to Lexington. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's a great way you can sleep on it and then um, – you know, it, it's just nice. But, yeah, I thought about that, but just never happened. No. Well, you know what? Um, maybe one day. You know, don't, don't, well, I guess you can't. No, no, that's not going to happen. You you can't just uh, – there's no Joe there anymore. What's there now? Nothing, right? Parking lot. You know what? Since I left the Joe, and that was, what, a couple years ago now, two, three years ago, yeah. I haven't been back. I haven't even looked at, at what it looks like now. I guess there's not much to look at, but – um, when I left the last day, I cleaned out my desk and and never came back to take a look at it. So I've been at Little Caesars, got my office there, and to be honest with you, I haven't even been to Little Caesars just because of the fact that you know this COVID thing is kind of getting out of control, and haven't had a chance to to 
get back over to Little Caesars since March and, you know, basically been working from home and, and, you know, the Red Wings are keeping me busy doing other things and, and just been working out of home. You know, for me, uh, I went back one time and I was at last year, or the year before when, when Gordy Howe passed away, they had a memorial there at the, the Joe and, you know, all the different times I'd been in there and I didn't really have seats on the ice too many times. One time, I, I would go down sometimes and watch warm-ups, you know, like right there on the ice. But, you know, they didn't have the ice there, and they had the memorial set up. So you walked right through, like, where, where center ice was at. And, you know, you're able to look around, and, you know, the stands were still there then. And, and what a what a, what a different type, very somber event, you know, of, of course, with, uh, you know, a memorial there for, for Gordy Howe. But, man, just being down there on the ice or where the ice was and, and looking around at that vantage point, man, that was, uh, that was a neat thing for a couple seconds to be able to do. Well, you know, it's amazing, Dennis, is I've always had the opportunity to take some groups out onto the ice before the game and to get some pictures taken, but I never really knew what it was like to be out there when they had 16, 18,000, 19,000 people in the stands. But, you know, I was fortunate enough when the last game at the Joe was played, the fans stuck around after the game, and I was um, introduced with some several Red Wing alumni and current players. And to be able to walk out onto the ice, and see 16,000 people and seeing them cheering, you know, for that last game where we had the, uh, uh, you know, everybody meeting at center ice and we had our replica sticks. And it was just amazing just to look up into the stands and, and how loud it was on the ice. I, I can only imagine, I can't imagine what it's like as a player to be able to play in a Stanley Cup playoff game with all that noise. I mean, that place rocked. It really did. And I'm looking forward to the day when, we have a playoff game at, at Little Caesars Arena and see how loud the crowd can get over there because Little Caesars Arena is just a beautiful facility. Yeah, I'm waiting for that too. I thought that when I was just walking there and looking around, like when you're sitting in the stands, you kind of feel like, uh, yeah, these players, I mean, they never, you know, are, 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 you know, recognizing you sitting out in the stands. I mean, they see, you know, thousands of, of fans, uh, you know, throughout the year and everything else, but you, you get out there and it's amazing. Like you, you can look around like, wow, man, you, it, it's such a different vantage point. I remember Iserman's, I don't know if it was last year, it could have been 10 years ago, him saying that, you know, you know, playing as long as he did in, in, in one place that when he skated around, he definitely recognized people that were in the stands. And, you know, that makes sense. Like you're there, you know, so many games and, you know, the, your, your warm ups and everything else and people that have season tickets, of course, you're going to recognize people after a while, but you don't, you don't think of things like that. You know, it's amazing. I heard a story one time of Gordy Howe, and it's the same thing with at the old Olympia when he would go out there and, and he would see season ticket holders. And he got to know them, I guess, through the years. And a couple of times, I guess, he knew when their birthdays were. And so he'd skate by them and, and he'd stop and, and, you know, go into the stands there and say, hey, happy birthday. <laughs> and uh, can you imagine if you were a guest of the person who had the birthday and you're going like, wow, Gordy Howe came in there and you know, wish my buddy a happy birthday. That's amazing, you know. But you're right. I, I, I guess if you're a player and there's, you know, that area right there full of season ticket holders, so you kind of know a lot of the fans. And, you know, it was a little bit different maybe back in the day than it is now, but that must have been something special. No, you, you can't really uh, think about that. But, you know, you, you, you do. I know in, in your position there, like, you know, you've, I remember a couple times just filling in, you know, and you go out in the, the back of the press box. It's just a small little – Iowa way there talking about uh, at the Joe Lewis arena, there'd be, Hey, you know, Gordy, Howe would be standing there wanting to talk about, you know, with, with Paul, 
you know, what he thought of the first period of, you know, wings, blue jackets and, you know, these entry passes. And it was just like seeing him and, and, uh, you know, greats like, you know, Bud Lynch coming walking up and down the aisle there. And, you know, they, they probably have, well, they do have a, a lot nicer spot there for the general manager and, and all the other dignitaries that'll be there. But at the Joe, just down at the end, it was just, uh, you know, a little cardboard box, you know, that, that Ken Holland and everybody was in. So you'd run in all kinds of people up there. You know, Dennis, I remember a couple of times uh, the period would start, the first period would start, and, and when Gordy was getting up in age, Mark Howe, his son, would would be with them, and they'd always get up to the to the press box a little bit later. So there's four or five minutes going by in the first period. I'm in there calling the game. Next thing you know, uh, I get this shot in the ribs, you know, <laughs> and as, I, as I'm calling the game and I'm like, turn around, I'm like, I'm wondering who that is, and, and, and I'm a little bit, PO'd a little bit, and I turn around. It's Gordy, and he's just laughing. You know what I mean? So, uh, so it's like you know, I want to. Who's who's hit me in the back like this? And I turn around. It's Gordy Howe. It's like, well, hi, Mister Howe. Yeah. <laughs> but but you're you're in the middle of calling the play, and all of a sudden, you know, you you, you know, you're going. Here's Eisenman up the right side. Oh, you know. And then the next thing you know, you got a shot in the ribs. Well, there's probably uh, you could probably count on one hand the amount of people that you would not have been upset. Uh, with that would have poked you in the ribs. He would have been, he would have been one of them. You know, uh, Ken, I've taken this whole time and I haven't, you know, gone to Friday and it's like, you know, am I going to sit here the whole time and not ask you about uh, Friday and the lottery and everything. It, it doesn't really do any good avoiding it now. And uh, so, you know, it was a real, it was a real gut punch, you know, Friday, you know, with the way the season went and then, you know, it was such a, a long wait, you know, for like they, they put off and delayed the lottery. And then then there was the thought that, hey, the, the wings could end up with, you know, guaranteed a top two spot. And, you know, they had they had this, you know, amazing percentages. And I thought, wow, they're never going to be able to do that. But, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't considering uh, any spot except the first spot. But, you know, to, to fall all the way to four, what was. What was it like there Friday? You know, what, what were you thinking about going in and when it happened? Uh, what was that like for you? Well, I, I knew going in that there was a possibility of a, a, a play-in type team that would get a pick, you know, in the draft. But, you know, the way it all played out, I, I didn't really think that it was going to happen. Um, with that said, I thought that with if you added added up the odds of the Red Wings getting the first pick overall and the Ottawa Senators with their two picks, one of those two teams would get the one or two pick. And obviously neither team got it. And then you got the uh, the play-in team that would get it. And I, I couldn't believe it, really, to be honest with you. I was a little bit disappointed. And I was disappointed that for the last four years, the Red Wings have dropped back every year in the draft. And, you know, that shouldn't happen, first and foremost. Uh, you know, I'm not here's the thing. It's a lottery. It's a choice. It's a chance. And, um, you know, there's, there's a chance you're going to get the top pick. There's a chance you're not, but I, I just don't think, and this, I've, I've said this all along. I don't mind the lottery. I don't like a team that's involved in the playoffs or in play in games with an opportunity to get the first over overall pick in the draft. I don't think that's fair. And the reason why I say that Dennis is because if you're eligible for the playoffs, whether you're a play-in team or you're a team that finished pretty well up in the standings, if you lose that first play-in round, the consolation is you have a chance and a pretty good chance of getting the first overall pick. And if you're a team that doesn't qualify for the playoffs, like the Red Wings, like Anaheim, like the Sabres, et cetera, 
the only consolation you have is you cross your fingers and you hope you get the number one pick in the draft. So, and and you're not involved and in even don't even have a sniff at trying to win the Stanley Cup. So, I just think that if you're going to have a lottery, you, you you take the teams that are not involved in postseason play and you do it with those teams, and and that's it. And the other thing I was thinking about the other day, Dennis, I thought, well, and actually it was today. I said, you know what? Maybe at the end of the season, right before the playoffs start, the day before the playoffs start, you have the bottom two teams in the National Hockey League with a one-game playoff, or you know, where where that team plays the other team, and whoever wins that game gets the number one pick, and the loser gets the number two pick, and there that that way you decide it right there amongst the teams, and not have to worry about a lottery. Then if you want to have a lottery from three through whenever, that's fine too. But, you know, I, I just don't like the fact that, and how everything played out. And I, I think that maybe the, I'm hoping the league will take a look at it and maybe change it down the road. Yeah, every little thing you go through and, and you can nitpick some of that stuff. And, well, this year, you know, they've never had teams that made or had a chance right. to make the playoffs. It was because of the, the pandemic. So we realized, you know, that was a, a curveball and they – had to come up with something sort of on the fly, and they came up with the one, like, let's go back to the old rules. And, you know, that didn't seem fair, although it would have been great for the Red Wings, you know, having the first or second spot there. So, uh, yeah, you know, they they felt like, um, you know, they wanted to get some of those teams a, a chance to, you know, still feel like they could compete, but then they wanted to still feel like, you know, that they should have been in there. I mean, uh, I, I get it, but, yeah, when it ends up like this, it, it just doesn't seem right. You know, and uh, I, I saw that tweet of yours, and I was looking at the responses of what, you know, hockey fans were saying about it. And the first one is like, yeah, you want the wait, the winning team ends up getting the the better pick because, uh, you know, there were some people that were shooting some holes in, in your theory. And in all of them, you know, you, you go through, yeah. unless it just falls right for the team that you like, you know, you're always going to be wanting to, you know, twist or turn something, it seems like. Well, you know, I would say this, like when the Red Wings were winning Stanley Cups and Atlanta and Columbus and all these teams were the Nashville, they were the worst teams in the league. I wanted to see them get the pick. You know, it's not that because the Red Wings finished last that I want them to get the first pick. Well, obviously I do, but I want it to be fair. And, you know, back in the day when the Wings were winning, you know, I wanted to see those teams get the number one pick because that's how you, you get competitive. And the way you get competitive is through the draft. And if you start drafting these players, and, I, and I'll give you an example. Look at look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. Back in the day, they were about to fold. And then they, they started picking really solid players with first overall and second overall picks in the draft, and they became really good. I mean, guys like Fleury and Crosby and Malkin, um, you know, and Stahl, all of a sudden they become a perennial, you know, contender for a Stanley Cup for years. And the same thing can be said about the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. What were they before Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane? They were a losing club. But you know what? In this league of parity, Dennis, I look at it as a steering wheel. Right now, the teams at the top of the steering wheel have the best chance of winning the Stanley Cup. But what happens is the teams at the bottom of the steering wheel, like the Red Wings, like Ottawa, like Anaheim, like Los Angeles, they start drafting players. All of a sudden, they start moving up the left side of the steering wheel towards the top. And then the, the top teams, because their players are a little older and maybe start retiring, they get to the bottom, and the cycle always works. Why mess around with the cycle? Why should a, a player as good as Lafreniere is expected to be go to a team that might have 80, 90, 100 points? That's not fair. 
can you imagine if the Toronto Maple Leafs get them okay. or if the Edmonton Oilers get them or if the Pittsburgh Penguins get them? I mean, it doesn't make sense, and it's not fair, and that's the only reason why I really disapprove of it. Well, I like your steering wheel analogy. It gives me some consolation. You know, I I heard of a couple things that were consoling or, you know, the the way to look at the bright side. And and the two best ones were uh, they came in the shape of one that Iserman was the, you know, the fourth pick back in 83. And that Kale McCarr, the defenseman from the from the abs, who is fabulous. He's certainly a you know, a top five defenseman already moving forward. And back in 2017, he was the fourth overall pick. You want the first, you want the second, you want the third, but here you are at fourth and, you know, you're left with with looking at, um, you know, steering wheel analogies and, uh, you know, other things to to try to make you feel better. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that Lafreniere is going to come in and light up the league. I I mean, everyone thinks he's a generational player and, but he's got to prove it. He's got to do it. And, you know, there are certain can't-miss candidates out there, guys like Crosby. You knew he was going to do good. Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews. I mean, they're, they're, you just know going in that they're going to be really solid players. And I think the same can be said about Lafreniere from what I've seen. So, you know, a good team's going to get a solid player. and He's going to be a solid player for years to come. With that said, I think teams have to draft well, and you've got to find those diamonds in the rough. And the Red Wings, the good thing for the Wings this year is they've got a lot of picks. They've got a couple of picks, I think, in the second and third round. They'll be picking first from the second round all the way down, you know, in the subsequent round. So what you got to do is you got to do your due diligence. You got to do your scouting. And you got to make sure that, you know, out of the, you know, eight, nine, ten players that you're going to draft, you know, you down the road, you're going to find the diamond in the rough and maybe a, a fourth-round pick is going to turn out to be a very solid player for your club. You know, and you look at like like Henrik Zetterberg. He's a perfect example. He was a later-round pick, and he, he became a really good player. So that's what you're hoping for. Yeah, well, the Wings did that with a million players back in the day, so that would be nice. It just, uh, all of these different analogies, for me, it was all about, like, um, you know, being at the casino on the last day with no money and just, like, having the walk of shame with your head down and all of these people having fun and you'd have no money in your pocket. And it was like, you know, heading in, it was like, you know, you had a chance to be a millionaire and you had the best shot and you just had one pull. And even if you didn't end up being a millionaire, Hey, you're going to be able to get a half million or man, you didn't even want to think about it. You'd be able to get two fifty. but even heading in you, the worst you could do was a 50,000 consolation, which isn't all that bad, but man, uh, it's a far cry from, you know, being a millionaire, but that's my analogy, but that's not a very that's not a very happy one. No. No, but you know what? It makes sense. And here's the thing, too. And Steve Eisman said it right. The, the Red Wings are going to get a solid prospect at the fourth pick. There's this is a very deep draft. It's not like drafts maybe in the past where you know maybe it's a weak draft or something like that. But I think the Red Wings will nab a really good player that's going to be a Red Wing for a long time. Hopefully, it, the, the difference is is you're just going to have to wait and. An 18-year-old coming in and playing right away is very slim, and and very few players do that. So look at Mo Sider. I thought he had a really good year in Grand Rapids, but he needed a year of seasoning, and maybe he needs more. So the good thing is, is if you can get enough of those players in your system, 
they all come up around the same time, and all of a sudden it makes a huge difference. And, you know, guys like Zadina starting to turn things around. If Joe Valeno can come in in the next couple of years, and Mo Sider and Jared McIsaac, and the list goes on and on. Now all of a sudden you got a pretty solid team, and they complement players like Larkin and Mantha who will be solid veterans by then. Yeah, I just got to tell you, it's just one of these crazy things, you know, off the ice. And I know you know because you talk to so many Red Wing fans is that, you know, over the last couple of years, it gets to a point where you just start thinking so much about the the draft and the lottery. And, hey, you don't even mind if they, they lose a game here or there because you get better odds. And then, of course, this year it was, uh, you know, the ultimate, you know, hey, the best odds. And we saw how that went on or how that turned out. But it was just last year with Iserman, it was like, uh, oh, you know, uh, hope they lose a couple more games to get this guy or that guy. And then Cider was on nobody's radar. And, uh, you know, Eisenman ended up picking him. And then, you know, you just reminded me with uh, Zadina. Nobody thought that, you know, Zadina was going to fall to the wings. And then, you know, there he was. Uh, it, it's one of those things, like, sometimes, besides the game, that's all you're left with, you know, is is looking at the draft. And it's such – it's the most important piece, you know, of, of building a – of building a hockey team and we put so much into it just as fans looking at it and all these numbers. And then, you know, the way that's, what, what have they lost? Like eight draft spots over the last four years. I mean, that, that's crazy stuff. Yeah. But you know what, Dennis, I, I think the fans, they look at football and they see that there are players that can come right in and, and be a big part of, of the team in the NFL, but they're older and that's not how, national hockey league works and you're drafting 18 year olds and you're trying to figure out how they're going to be in three to four years and, and how they're going to help your team. And I think fans for the most part, and I, I, I'd like to see a quick turnaround, but it just doesn't happen. Not in hockey. You've got to, you've got to draft and you've got to develop your players and, and you got to make sure that they're on the right track. And as they get older and bigger and stronger, you know, then they can eventually play in the national hockey league and be a big part of your team. And, you know, the same could be said about Anthony Mantha. I, re- I really want to see him play a full season without getting injured because I think he can be a 40-goal scorer on a regular basis. But when you look at Anthony Mantha and his career, it wasn't where he came right in and started you know, lighting up, putting pucks in the net. It, it just didn't happen. You've got to go through the process, and you've got to make sure that you know, you're playing in all different situations. You're, you're, you're putting the time and the effort and the work in. And, and it just doesn't happen overnight unless you're a very gifted player. And there are so few of those players that play right away in the NHL. So it just takes time. And the more, uh, like I said, diamonds in the roughs that you have that you can develop and, and, you know, go through the right process, the better you're going to be in the long run. And you're going to be a good for a long period of time because you'll have a good core group of players that are going to be with your team for a long period. That's the bright side. Ken, is there another one? I was just thinking about, uh, you know, today, you know, looking at the cap space, it looked like uh, just the, only the Senators had more cap space heading into next year. So there's some players available if Steve Eisenman wants to go out and 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 get involved in, in free agency big time, just how big of a swing he wants to make or whatever else. I, I just wonder how many teams without getting like a, a first or, or second overall pick over the last few years, is there a – a blueprint or a team that we can think of that, that had the worst record, didn't have the number one overall pick. And yet, uh, you know, here they were, you know, in not worse to first necessarily, maybe the blue jackets, right. It seemed like the blue jackets went from, they made a few trades and I don't know if they had a number one overall, but then they, 
you know, they ended up getting into the mix and, and getting into things. Uh, any other teams that you can think of that, you know, you can feel like maybe the Red Wings can, you know, follow? No, not really. I, I mean, you look at teams like Chicago that, you know, they weren't very good, and and, and then all of a sudden they get Taves and Key, and it turns it around very yeah. quickly. Same thing with Crosby and Malkin. You know, and those players make a difference. And, and look at the Maple Leafs. They were lousy for a long period of time, and all of a sudden they get Matthews and Marner and Nylander, and next thing you know, you know, they're a 100-point team. So so if you draft a couple of years in a row and you get these, you know, high draft choices and they turn out to be solid NHL players, you can make a, a difference in a hurry. But, but you know, there are several trains of thought here. Um, you know, like general man, some general managers like to build through the draft. Some general managers like to build through free agency. And, you know, the good thing is the Red Wings do have cap space now because of expiring contract. And I think this team is going to be, there's going to be a lot of new faces next year or whenever the, they start playing again on the Red Wings. Um, but I just think that, that Steve Eisman wants to do it the right way. And the right way is like when Jimmy Devolano came in here, you built through the draft. You don't trade your draft choices. You try to get as many kicks of the can at it as possible, try to accumulate them. Uh, and in the process, if you're going to pick up a free agent, you're not going to sign a free agent long term. I think we've already seen that with Steve Eiserman. He'll give you a one, two year term and, and that's it. And then when you get to a point where your young players are developed and all of a sudden you're winning and you're making the playoffs, then you can add free agents, free agent players, spend a little more money in term to, to really solidify your club. But at this point in time, I don't see, even though the Red Wings have a lot of money, I don't think you're going to see them throw a boatload of money at free agents to try and come here. Yeah, I agree with you on that. You know, I wanted to ask you before we concluded this, looking at the, the NHL playoffs and the resumption, whatever they get going right around, you know, uh, about a month from now. And, you know, there's not going to be any fans in in the stands. We know that. You broadcast, was it, was it last year in um, – in the preseason, you went somewhere up in the UP. Didn't you do like a, a an internet game or something like that? Were there fans in the stands then? Oh yeah, I mean uh, it was like it was in Calumet, and uh, it was packed. It was a it was the biggest crowd they ever had. But the arena only set only seated I think two thousand people, if that. And you know every 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 vantage point, every seat was a great vantage point. But it was packed up there, and that was that was really an exciting event. I was I was so glad to be able to to call that game. Uh, you know, in Calumet because the whole city came out to, to greet the Red Wings and the Blues, and it was just a, a really good atmosphere out there. And, you know, it takes you back to your roots a little bit. You go to small towns and you play these exhibition games. A lot of teams used to do that back in the day. Yeah, what if you had to broadcast a game with no fans there? Do you think you would want, like, uh, a little bit ambient sound, uh, whether it be in your ear or, or over the air, so you'd feel like maybe – you know, you feed off that a little bit. I, I know it's part of your broadcast. There's so many times, you know, I'm listening to you and you're like, hey, there's the rhythmic, let's go Red Wings chant or whatever. I mean, you'll throw it in there, right? Well, I've never done a game with, um, you know, less fans, I guess. I mean, uh, the game at Calumet had 2,000 fans. And I know back in the day when I was doing Michigan hockey, when I first started, the team wasn't very good. And there might have been only 800 to 1,000 fans at Yost. Mm. So, you know, you just call the game, I guess, and, and yeah, it would be different. But on the other hand, uh, you know, there's ice effects that, that you can that you can plug up. The engineer can turn that up a little bit, and you just call the game. And, you know, whether the fans are there or not, you know, you just describe the action on the ice. It would be different, but 
if I had a choice between 20,000 fans in the building, yes, I'd rather have the 20,000 fans in the building or even half of that if, if because of COVID you can only put half in the building. Yeah, and if you had a choice, you'd be uh, ready to saddle up and, and call some games even if there wasn't anybody in the building. You'd be ready to do it, wouldn't you? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, this normally is our off season right now, but being off since March 10th or 12th, whatever it was, when we came back from Washington, it, it seems like an awful long time, and it really has been a long time. And if the NHL gets going and they, they finish the playoffs and that happens in September or early October, then they're going to have a couple of months off, then the Red Wings won't really start till December or January. So, oh. you know, thinking about that right now, we're only halfway through 2019. you got to wait another six months before we start going again. That's a long time. It is. You might have to call some games in your living rooms to keep, uh, you know, fresh or whatever else. So, I, I do that in the shower all the time. My wife just, <laughs> who are you talking to? And I'm in the, I'm in the shower. I'm going, you know, like, you know, here's Ronick up the right side, little feed pass ahead, scores. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to bring your phone in there one time and tape that. That would be some good stuff, Ken. I like it. So- some people sing in the shower. I do play-by-play in the shower. You know, so. that it doesn't surprise me. Well, uh, all the best. Maybe some, some play-by-play for your uh, for your 4th of July boat ride. Uh, thanks for joining me, and uh, we'll talk again sometime, maybe this summer. Sounds good, Dennis. And to all the people listening right now, I just want you to be safe and wash your hands, keep that mask on, and keep six feet apart from people. And hopefully we can get through this and have some more hockey in the near future. There you go, Ken. Appreciate that. Appreciate this. Take care of yourself. Thank you. See ya. There he is. Ken Cal. Well, we're just going to continue on here. We are going to continue on. We're heading out to Las Vegas right now to talk with a a long-time radio and TV personality here in Detroit. See if I can get him on here first. Let's see if he answers first. I'm pretty sure he's going to. Hello. And is this the man, Mark Wilson? Let me, let me check and see. Yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> it is, Mark. Dennis Fithian, as you know, since I uh, contacted you uh, earlier. It's, it's great to have you on my podcast. How are you? Thank you. You sound very energetic. I'm good. How are you, Dennis? <laughs> well, you know, it's either that or just kind of uh, sitting back. You know, that's one of my things uh, I, I do. I, I think I yell a little bit. Maybe uh, maybe too much, but you know, Mark, a, a longtime radio and, and TV personality in Detroit, man. Uh, just tell everybody how you're doing. Uh, you know, I guess I, I almost almost hate to say great during this time period because so many aren't. But uh, great. I mean, I'm I'm fine. You know, I, I wish the best for everybody. Um, Las Vegas is fantastic. It's a beautiful day here. I was out at the pool earlier, <laughs> had a little lunch, you know, and and I see somebody from Dennis Fifth, and I go, oh, my goodness, look at this. I'm privileged. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Well, you have done such a, a good job connecting. It's been a, a couple years since you've been here in Detroit, but it doesn't seem like it, like uh, the way that you, you blog, you commentate, uh, everything there on Facebook, man, it feels like, I mean, you're, you're, you're still here and, uh, the way you interact with Detroit sports fans, I don't know if that's on purpose, but uh, you do a heck of a job. Yeah, no, it's a little bit on purpose because, you know, I, I tend to migrate to the you know the base. I was there, you know, uh, 30 years consecutively after I 
came back from my, I worked in Miami, came back and then worked in Michigan consecutive for 30 straight, 85 to 15, came out to Las Vegas more permanently in 2015. But uh, they seem to have fun with it. I do it, uh, you know, kind of as a lark, but uh, obviously I still keep, you know, people say that to me a lot. They go, yeah, as if I can't get news. You know, there's no other, there's no way to get news way out here in Southern Nevada. How do we do that now? If only there was a machine that you could use to get news. There are other things happening on Twitter and whatnot, but they seem to like it. If people didn't want it, I probably wouldn't bother, but sometimes I just do it just for myself too. You know how it goes with that, but you know, doing stuff, and you've been in the, look, you've been in Detroit a long time, too. How long has it been now? Uh, well, I was uh, on the radio there 14 years and then uh, 11 in Ann Arbor. So, yeah, it, it stacks up pretty quick. But I know what you mean. But, you know, if we were talking 10 years ago, columnists, like, if they didn't have a byline that they were, like, out at Fenway Park – you know, there would be some people saying, "Oh, what's this person?" You know, how is they even talking about the Tigers? But that's all went out the. It's gone out the window. People don't really care if you're, you know, at Fenway Park with the Tigers if they were playing baseball. Uh, they just want to know what your opinion is and if you're bringing, you know, content that they like. Right. Everything's changed, and if you didn't migrate to the new ways, then you were left behind. It's the old Ozzy Osbourne line: "You're either in or in the way." And uh, here, here's me quoting Ozzy Osbourne. Um, that's how cool I am, Dennis, as you know. But I was thinking about this when I saw that because because um, you came on with us when we were still doing the old KRK thing when we had the Lions. You came on, I, I believe you came on as our update guy, right? It was. I saw that would have been, I think, uh, a 2006 season for the Lions. And, uh, yeah, in-game updates and then – or in-game uh, updates uh, when the game was going on with with Dan Miller, and then afterwards you would you would do the post game, and I would do the updates there. And sometimes I'd see you guys out on site. I remember when we were looking for. I think you replaced Gator. I'm Didn't not, you? I'm think not Scott sure was, of that. I'm not sure of that. I think it was, but I do remember when we were looking for somebody, and we actually, you know, they brought Rob and I, Rob Parker and I, in to like look at uh, or hear tapes or whatever we were doing back then. Uh, you know, before there was right before there was smartphones and whatnot and a really decent internet. And uh, I'm telling you, we I remember hearing you and I remember hearing you a bit in Ann Arbor. I said, we got to have them. I mean, I, I remember doing that. Uh, so, you know, don't take that lightly. That was a big deal when you got that. And look, at uh, it morphed into a nice career for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I remember when uh, when Craig Schwab, you know. I'm not, I'm not trying to take credit for it. I just, what I've been doing lately is though, like even yesterday with the, with the WDFN, Goodbye. Uh, I was telling people, you know, don't diminish what this meant. I, I remember I said it to Larry Sorensen. I said, Larry, you know, you were a big deal. That was a big deal that you were a part of that, of gaining traction for morning audiences on a sports talk radio sh- uh, station from the, from the get go, from the day it went on the air. And I said, don't, you know, don't make that, don't make light of that. That's a, that's a big deal. Take some credit for that. No, it was a big deal. I was going to get to that. You know, I think of you more. It's it's interesting how the things work, but it just what the the job I had and and just the free time that I had. And I remember I was I, I was living by myself in Canton, and I listened to to Sports Night like every night. I mean, it, and it was not. Did you guys stay until two or it was was it was it twelve? I don't I don't remember, but it was it was late night, and I loved it. When we start after we left DFN and went to you're talking about when we were at ninety so when we got to ninety seven one, 
I te- look, I love telling that. So I won't do it. I mean, I don't know how much time you got, but I mean, we, we literally were at a station that had no rating and zero revenue. I mean, it was zero and zero. Okay. That's when we started there late nineties after we left DFN and we started doing weekends. We stayed cause they didn't have anything yet. And they paid us incredibly and gave us full CBS benefits for just doing two weekend shows. That became the overnight thing, which was 10 to two. So yes, at, we started doing late night into overnight 10 to two. And then that morphed using that word again into the seven to 11. It was originally seven to four hours, seven to 11. And I think we did seven to 10. So we started doing weekends, but for a very short period of time, Dennis. And then, then we did that late night thing you're talking about. Yeah. And you know, by the way, podcasting, you know, I got uh, almost all the time in the world when I've gone over a, a little bit, uh, we're going to be on. And Dennis, we're going to be doing this for six hours today. <laughs> well, the one time I did it, uh, and I was like, well, I could go as long as I want. And I did for for over an hour. And I went back, and, and it was the one time, I, and I still haven't figured it out. Uh, for some reason, it, it, it conked out. I don't know if it was my machine or. Uh, or whatever. So technically, I'm not. I got gotcha. you. Uh, I'm not 100% yet, but we get all the time, uh, mostly in the world here. And you know, it, it was funny from from DFN. Let me ask you, but you, you weren't with the. You know, I was just talking to Rob Parker today, which you know, funny enough, and he was saying, you know, he was the the first person that was hired there, and he was giving me some inside stories. And uh, it, it wasn't long before you came along. And and did you start in the mornings with Rob there? How did that work? Well, first of all, I go back to the beginning of DFN as well, because Lorna Gladstone called me when I was at Channel 2, uh, long before the July 11th, 1994 90, start date, and asked my interest level of doing radio. And I, I had two meetings with Lorna. She was nice enough to pay for two lunches. I think I forced the second one because I was hungry. And I said, uh, <laughs> hey, Lorna, if you're going to pay, I'm, I'm coming. Um I just didn't want to be doing both at that time. I didn't want to work my whole life. I actually like my time off. And as you know, I mean, doing television, I know people think it's nothing deal. Three minutes here, four minutes. It's a, you know, it, it's, it takes its toll. And even at that, in my thirties, I didn't feel like doing radio and television at the same time. I didn't know if it'd be morning show, maybe middays. I couldn't do anything later than that because I had to go and then do my job. I wasn't leaving television for the radio thing at that time. So it started with that. So it wasn't until a few years later when I left Channel 2, and I started with Pat, the full-time stuff. I did part-time. Uh, Greg Henson had brought me on. He hired me. I didn't hire myself. And he brought me on, and I started doing some part-time. It's all I wanted to do. And then that kind of went into the morning show that we started, but that was with Caputo. And so Pat and I did that from the start in March of whatever. I don't know what year it is anymore. But uh, it was only because Pat couldn't keep doing the mornings while writing at the Oakland press. If Pat had said yes, if I do say yes, there would not have been a Parker in the mansion. There would not have been Rob Parker. Hey, you so know, it's, because, a, it's a two Michigan state guys. Okay. We're talking baseball. All right. Go ahead, Mark. And it was, <laughs> and it was great that we, thank you. I, I knew your Caputo would come out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd give me that again. <laughs> hey, hey, what's going on, Mark? Come on. Hey, <laughs> I love it. I love what you do, Pat. I love Pat. It was great. It's what started it. And I, I hoped at the time that Pat was going to stay. He's the one who made the decision not to. And then that's when we started. We, we started, you know, people don't know the story, but we, we kind of, we did auditions for my partner. And one of the guys was Craig Carton, 
who's been in the news because he just got out of prison. He'd worked in New York at the fan. He might go back there, actually. He just got out of jail. He did a week with me, and he was okay, but for some reason, he just didn't appeal. I don't know what the deal was. I don't think he even he wanted to work in Detroit. But I did a week with Craig Carton. I did, I did about five or six, maybe seven. One was a female, um, I think out of Seattle, who uh, we looked, we looked uh, did a national search for my partner to do that morning show in Detroit at DFN. And how did, how did and it, it came down to Robin and it came down to Robin. He, uh, I remember Greg asking me, he said, what do you think about Rob Parker? I said, he's, uh, he's a good guy. He's in New York. What about him? He's willing to come back. I, I, I mean, I went through this whole process. Why? And his wife, uh, Camille at the time from Detroit, wanted to come back to Detroit. And that's really how that was all of a sudden out of the blue and bing, bang, boom, Rob uh, came in and, and it was, uh, I guess the rest is history, Dennis. Well, I'll tell you the, about history. You know, I, when I listened to you guys, when you were, I guess it was called free FM when I was listening to 97.1, that, you know, crystal clear FM signal, I thought you guys, and you know, that was, that was sports talk on FM. You know, to me, it was, it was just awesome. It was something new. And, your guys' show, I, I found, like, uh, you know, top shelf, top notch, entertaining and everything. But I say that to, you know, the, to compliment you. It's deserved. It, it really, I really did like it. But I do remember, and it's just funny, it's not like my, my, my taste changed, but when I heard you guys and I didn't give you enough time when you were on the morning at DFN, like, I remember tuning in and thinking, man, these guys are just, uh, and you have to do that, I think, on, on morning radio a little bit more. These guys are, you know, they're just laughing it up, you know. It's kind of like a little zany morning show. And I didn't give it enough time, you know, like, you know, you guys were, st- were, were still funny and probably still doing the same kind of show when you were on FM. But, man, uh, I was all in on FM, and I just didn't give it the time on AM. It's funny how those things work. I remember – when I had a show when I was in Ann Arbor and the show immediately after me was Tony Kornheiser. And I would, the first two minutes, you know, everything would be going on. NFL would be in the fall, all these things. And and Tony Kornheiser would be talking about, well, I got a bunion on my foot and I, and I wore these loafers and I, and I, so I would start to rip him. And then there was this guy that, that uh, sent me an email. He said, you know what? That's just his, his, uh, you know, his shtick, you know, after that, he's great. You know, he should just get by that first five minutes. And I did. And the guy was right. And I actually liked it, but uh, I, I didn't do that with you guys when you're on AM and, and it was probably because uh, the morning stuff has to be a little zanier, right? Well, we had two, I wouldn't say we were big on philosophies and stuff. We kind of just let it go. I mean, Rob and I had, I think we had one quick meeting and then we did our first day. We were never big on meetings. Uh, we never liked them. <laughs> we never. We weren't big on show prep. I shouldn't be saying that, should I? Because I mean, we prepped, but we just didn't like gather together because we were all doing other things. So there was a different philosophy, I think, when we were at DFN. I think it was a little bit more. Let's just put it this way: there was a little more structure there, and we went to ninety-seven-one. That kind of gave us the keys of the kingdom, and said, "Do what you want," and they never interfered. So we were there eight years, whatever, and we, we, I, I can tell you to this day, we didn't get a, a minute's worth of interference, not one. And so we just did what we wanted to do. So I don't know, sometimes we were a little more sports heavy there. Uh, Maybe. I think we did do that first hour because we were following what turned out to be a number one show in Dominski and Doyle. And we said, look, we want to keep that audience. So they're doing their wacky stuff. We might as well do the first hour or something similar to keep that and see if that, so there was a little more philosophy, I suppose we had when it came to that at 97.1 than there was at DFN. 
Yeah, I remember that. I remember an hour long, and, you know, it kept me sometimes. Hey, what's your favorite pillow? And, you know, I, I would listen. But, you know, what? I remember after that. You know the pillow? <laughs> you t- <laughs> that pillow's famous. <laughs> the pillow show, man. It was it was great. Rob, like, uses Justin. the same pillow his entire life, right? Years, and I, I couldn't believe I said, Rob, that thing's, like, riddled with, I don't know what you got. I'm surprised you're alive. I mean, I change my pillow out like every six months. This guy hasn't changed it out for like 20 years. I'm like, what are you talking about? That was a big, that was, that show I heard, to this day, Dennis, I hear about that pillow show. Yeah. And you just brought it up now. Yeah, well, there it is. But, you know, the, the depth part, like, you know, the sports knowledge, it, it, it happens pretty quick when you're on the radio and you're listening to somebody. Like, you would do some of these updates, and, you know, next thing, you're, you know, like, you know, you most updates weren't given a, a rundown on everything that's going on in golf. You're, you were there. And then, you know, you're, you're doing these NFL shows and, you know, you, you knew what Monty Clark was calling in the, you know, the second game in the, in the second half against the bears. And I was like, man, Mark, Mark knows everything. That's what I thought. Oh, that's nice of you to say. I, I have a stupid, I have, I can't remember like last Thursday, but I can remember that stupid stuff. I just have had a good memory for sports stuff, especially in Detroit, when I, because I, I have a line of demarcation. I started when I was in college at MSU in the 70s. My first time ever covering the Lions in the tra- in training camp was in 78. In fact, I did this with so many the other day. I said, I, I hate to do this. I'm going to knock. Hold on. I'm going to knock. Knock if you're with me, Gruden. Hold on. Um, I'm going to knock again. But the people that I remember being in the room, and back then you were, we were at Oakland University, I, I almost hate to say this, but I'm going to say because it it's a podcast and it's Dennis Fifty, and I want to give you, I want to give you something. Everyone in that room that day is gone, but me. Mm. So the guys that I've, and I don't remember. Someone said, "What about O'Hare?" I said, "I don't think Mike was there that day, and I don't know if he was already covering the Lions full time in '78." And then I said, "Kurt Sylvester, ah, Kurt wasn't there." I gave him the people that were there that day. It was like it was like George Buskis and and Joe Falls and. Uh, Don Kramer was the Lions PR guy at the time. And by the way, Dennis, the, the media room at Oakland U was a little room at the, I think the IM building, because the field was just a makeshift field in the, if you, if anybody's been to Oakland University, there's a dugout little field down there by the, in the back of the school. And the media room was a table with a mimeograph machine, a corded telephone, a stack of papers, and an ashtray for Don Kramer's cigars. <laughs> that was the media room for the Detroit Lions back 42 years ago. But I'm the only one left that I, that I can recall being in that room that day. Now, as I said, Mike or Kurt might have been. I just don't remember them being there. But I remember other guys who are now have passed. So that's that's how, it. Just means I'm old. <laughs> What's a, a mimeograph? Is that the one that just had like a, like purple ink in it and kind of a, yes, yes. Yeah. If you, you everyone like to smell it when it first because it's it was yeah. like intoxicating. Like, like you get like sniffing glue. You would, everybody wanted to smell the mimeograph paper. That if you you know because it was fresh and it just it was like the paper was almost wet from the mimeograph. <laughs> I don't even know I remember how that worked. I guess I should go on like Google Images and look for a mimeograph machine. Yeah, it, it probably uh, you know causes <laughs> probably causes brain damage. I remember the same thing. Yeah. Though, the, the smell. 
Right. That's what they did the press releases back then, though. Don would you have a little crank, and they would crank on the in a roll and print it, and then it was paper after paper after paper, and then you'd take the stack and put it on the table. And that's, you know, there was, you know, because, you know, kids today, like my nephews are in their 20s, and my niece, she's 20, you know, every time they, I, they almost want to bring it up and go, up, up, don't say it. It wasn't invented yet. Okay, we couldn't just go to the internet and find out how the giants were doing. Okay, you know, you, you got you got press releases and you had to rely on those. I remember calling for years, Dennis, and you know this because you for years every year to have to call the same Big Ten athletic or sports information guys to get their media guides. They didn't just send them. You had to call them. Phil Hattie with Iowa. I almost remember all their names. Steve Mott, I think was his name, at Wisconsin. And every year I go, hi, hi Steve, Mark Wells, yeah, Channel 10. Can I, get, can I use some of your media? Go, okay, thanks, man. And then they'd have to, I mean, you'd call them every year. That's how we got information. There was no other way to do it. And I would tell them, I tell them, you know, kids these days, put up the hand, don't say it. Didn't have an internet, didn't have a cell phone. So don't be asking. Well, Mark, you know, you see all that. You've you've seen the Lions, so it's. I take you to if there is going to be a season this year, and it seems like uh, we we have uh, both the the GM and the head coach that are backed into a corner. You know, maybe we don't know that, but you know, they have to have playoff contention. But you know, you look at their first two years and and how it's gone with with Matt Patricia, uh, pretty bad. Uh, do you see anything where you look at this upcoming year where you're like, mm, well, do you see any kind of light here uh, for Lion fans, uh, for the Detroit Lions franchise here? You know what? You know, Matthew Stafford, God love you. You know, <laughs> you know, if you're coming back from that injury, you got a, you got a back injured quarterback who's in his 30s now. You know, I hope he's fine. I, I, I still to this day can't believe after how he started his career – he was able to put together this long playing streak that shocked me. Uh, it ended after what week eight or whatever last year, and you know that was a pretty hell of, hell of, hell of good run for Matt. And then and, and then you have these other you know two dudes come in and Driscoll and David Blau, and you see what life is like without Stafford. You can't win a game. Can't win a can't win a game. Can't win a game. <laughs> nope. Not a game. Not one. So. Obviously, the importance of him, even in a world where he's never won a playoff game, and he's been around over a decade, it's a long time. And then you say, well, has anything drastically changed, even with the draft or free agency? A couple of players. I just don't I don't see it. Everybody else got better, too. It's not just about the Lions. And this is a, it's a crazy world right now. I don't know what topsy-turviness makes a difference from March to now as to how we were evaluating like NFL teams heading towards the draft at that time to where we are now actually heading towards what might be a season. Uh, but to be honest with you, I mean, I, I've already made my line by line. I, I got them at seven wins. I got them at seven and then maybe eight and eight. So if that's drastic, then fine. That's still not a playoff team. No, you know, and it, it's hard to pick them to go anything uh, more than that, because then you're starting to talk about the possibility of them winning the NFC North, which they haven't done for an incredible almost 30 years now. I mean, that is amazing just to talk about that. You would think that they would have fallen into it uh, once or twice in that time. Even, uh, the Bucks, what the Bucks won the NFC North more recently than the than the Lions. You'd think, 
And you're talking about battling out three different teams since you know since they went to the four, and you couldn't you couldn't stumble and bumble and every your way into one in that course of time. Dude, it's just it's it's just amazing. You know, some people, Detroiters, we all know the story. Everybody in Michigan in the we know the story. You get out, you tell I got like I'm from Chicago, so I tell my Bears fans they still don't even believe that. They go, what is it again? I said, 63 years, one playoff win. That's what it is. And that's why all I ever end the Lions with is, look, you can say whatever you want, 63 years, one playoff win. I don't know what's changed. Obviously, the change at the top now. I love Martha Firestone Ford. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm this weird guy who's always loved the Ford family. I get it. I don't defend them as a football owner. I don't. I can't defend 63 years, one playoff win. Record speaks for itself. I can like the people and hate the product. I'm allowed to do that. Okay, I always liked William Clay Ford Sr. I liked Bill Jr. I liked their mom, his then WCF's ex-wife, I mean, former wife, late wife, or he's late, not her. Uh, God bless Martha Ford, I hope she lives forever. And now Sheila taking over the club, which he's probably kind of been running anyhow the last couple of years. Um, I don't know if that's going to change anything. But Dennis, you've heard it your whole, I don't know how you do it. You, you've listened to it. You guys did the shows for years and years, and everything's about selling the team. Stop with the selling the team. A, there's not guys lining up to buy football teams. And number two, the Fords aren't ever – Sheila Hemp said it best. Sheila Ford Hemp said it best. This, this is going to be in our family to, into perpetuity. So you might as well just get over it. Okay, they're not selling the football team. And I tell people this all the time. If, if you had to get rid of 31 NFL teams, only one could remain. I'm telling you which one would remain. It ain't the Cowboys. It ain't the – Patriots, it's the Detroit Lions. You know why? Because even Jerry Jones at his practice facility, what's the big logo on his practice facility? Uh, AT&T. It's the Blue Oval. Oh, okay. No, it's a Ford logo. Oh. Is it? They're not getting rid of the, the Ford family with the Ford Motor Company. has So much money is involved. People look at that because they don't look at wins and losses. They don't look at the business side. Ford family with the Ford with the cars and the and and the amount of sponsorships they do and the amount of logos they're on in football stadiums and practice facilities around the country. We got one here. I mean, I, I I drive by the new stadium here, Legion Stadium for the Raiders, just about every day, and the practice facility out in Henderson by the Executive Airport. Just, these two facilities are unreal. But there's going to be Ford logos in there somewhere. I mean, there's going to be Ford in there. That's that's a big deal for the family and. And you, you, how many times have you answered the question about selling the team? Yeah, we, you could every hour if you wanted to. Uh, every every time, I every don't... every hour, you can. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about the Lions selling the team. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd never heard like the Lions. If there was an a, an atomic blast there, the Lions are the the cockroach. You know, they will be the only ones that are left. the only ones standing because of the Ford Motor Company. Yeah, well, Mark, we hope there is football in the fall and that they can play and it will be safe and, you know, all those things. We we talk about it like, you know, it, I realize it might not happen, but it's I guess it's, it is fun to talk about, like the possibilities that actually it could happen. So the Raiders, they're, they're there in Vegas. You know, I, I saw a picture. I was thinking it was a video or a probably just a picture about two weeks ago of that stadium that you were talking about. So what's that going to be like for the Raiders? I mean, is it going to be half uh, the other team's fan, half, I guess, Las Vegas, you know, quote-unquote fans? You know what? They're, 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 it's sold out. 
uh, we're not going to see, I can't imagine we'll see a fan in that beautiful building in the first year. I, I don't think there'll be fans in 2020, but that's just my opinion right now. It could all change. It's only, it's just July tomorrow. Um, it's unreal. It's an incredible, I, you know, I, I, for two and a half years, we saw the rendering. We saw it going up, uh, rising out of the desert, uh, across the, to the I-15 from the Strip. And, I, I mean, again, I, drive, I, I live off Russell Road. It is on Russell Road. It's at the corner. It's, 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 it's at the corner of Russell and Polaris, across the street from the Chevron station, and Kitty Corner to the Crazy Horse Strip Club. Okay? So it's not like in some... It's not on the Misty Moor somewhere. It's like whenever people talk about Notre Dame, they say, oh, my God, where's Notre Dame? And I said, it's, it's, it's like turn left at the Kentucky Fried Chicken and you're in the entrance. I mean, it's, it's in Bend, Indiana. So, like, everybody thinks, wow, this beautiful Allegiant Stadium, where is it? I said, it's right by the Chevron. And it's in a tiny area. So the, this beautiful, humongous, we call it the Death Star, it's, it's, it's pitch black, beautiful, with, it's, it's perfect for the Raiders. There's going to be this massive window, because it's a, it's a dome stadium. This massive window is going to open up. You'll see the Las Vegas Strip and this beautiful new deal they've got for the eternal flame for Al Davis. That's Mark Davis's way of honoring his father. It's huge. It's huge. It's a silver like chalice that comes out of the out of the bottom of the thing and it just rises and then light the thing and it's got a flame that'll be on all the time. And it's going to be amazing. The problem is, I just don't know if there'll be a person in there. It's a sixty-five thousand seat stadium. It's got the same situation as Glendale, Arizona. It's got the roll in and roll out grass field, so it'll be a grass field inside. They can roll it back out when they're done with it. Uh, there's going to be a little plaza. There's going to be no parking there. Basically, no parking other than maybe suite holders. Parking is going to be way off campuses. I always call it off campus. Here, there, and there, and everywhere. And you'll take shuttles there. I don't know how people are going to do when it's 110 degrees, but somehow they've got a plan. But it's on this like tiny bit of acreage. And if you, if you saw it, you would, you would just would, you would say, wow. It's all it comes out of my mouth. Every time I drive by, I stop at the stoplight and look at it. Cause I, it, it I go, look at that thing. Well, you know, that's amazing. You, you say that, and I I get that part. Like it's on such a, a small spot, but when they they tore down Tiger Stadium, there was a number of times where I would go go by there and, and sometimes stop at uh, Cochrane and K Line, which I I guess is out uh, right. you know left field there, and just take a look. And it's like it's amazing that you know this big monstrosity, you know the big stadium was was right in there. It looked so small. Or even being from the casino and looking over one time, I was up in the one of the higher uh, uh, suites there and taking a look out. It's like, wow, look at that little, little baseball stadium there. Uh, it is that it is strange how they can put such gigantic stadiums there in, in such a small spot. You're right, because you're absolutely right, Dennis. I did the same thing. The first time I ever went to, down to Michigan and Trumbull when Tiger Stadium was finally gone, I said, I could, this, was on, this was on this bit of land? It just it does seem really small. I remember when they were even building Ford Field next to Comerica. I said they're going to put a football stadium here. The difference I think though with that is there's there was already kind of some built-in parking. The Gem Theater was there, parking structure where I would park, or the Tiger Stadium parking. I mean the Comerica parking lot because that was already there because Ford Field came two years after Comerica opened. So they had some an infrastructure that was already in place. So it, it wasn't crazy weird when Ford field was built, but there you're talking about putting up a stadium from desert land. 
There was no infrastructure. There was no water. There was no piping. There was no electricity. There was no nothing. And it was it's literally right across the street from the Chevron station. There's a gas station. You can park your car at the gas station, walk across the street, and you're already on the property of the football field. That's how it is here. And it, it's a little different because they, they don't, there's no parking structures, at least not that I've seen come up yet. There's hotels across the street, not strip hotels, but like Marriott, there's a Spring Hill, I don't know what those are called, Spring Hill Suites or something. Mm-hmm. And those are the luckiest hotels in the world because they are literally across Russell Road. So if you stay there, you could walk to the stadium. The strip hotels, you cannot. You would, you, you, especially if it's a hundred degrees, you'll, they'll, they'll be, they'll be falling like flies. There's just too far, so you'd have to take a shuttle of some sort, or take an Uber, Lyft, or you can't drive your car. You can't park there. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. The stadium is still a ways away, and it's already July, so they got a lot to do in the next month and a half to two months. But I ask you, Dennis, do you really believe you'll see fans? Do you think though you'll see people? Tell me, I don't know anything. Well, Will we see football? Well, I, I, we might see football. I think they're going to try to do that, but but fans uh, probably not. I mean, if you're going to allow them in Vegas, you got to allow them in Detroit. You got to allow them in Miami. And if there's a hot spot in Florida, how are you going to say right? You know that there's not one in Seattle. So I, I don't know. I'd like it, that would be an advantage, disadvantage for the for the teams there. So I, I just don't see that happening. But I I think they're going to try for football. I think they're going to try for you sure. And, and the pros, Mark, today, I, I don't see it in college, really, and I, I don't see it in high school. Today, I did not think that this would happen. I thought they'd try, and I, this is, to me, and this might come up as a small story today, but just, I think within the hour, minor league baseball got canceled for the year. Hmm. So there is no minor league, you're, now you're talking about no minor league baseball anywhere in the United States this year. Look at all the towns with single A, double A, triple A. You look at Lansing with the lug nuts. You look at um, Grand Rapids with the white caps. Uh, I mean, I don't want to mention here in Las Vegas, we have the triple A aviators from the Oakland A's in this beautiful new ballpark they built just last year across from Red Rock Casino. I was, I just drove by that last night and I, and I didn't think about the fact that all these people that aren't going to be working, they rely on their summers to, to, for their world. That's what they they live for the that schedule, and now there won't be one game played in the United States in any minor league ballpark. This is just Major League Baseball just came out today and said we don't have players for you, so we're canceling it. Yeah, well, that's I why. Mean, that's why. How many minor league teams are there in the country? I have no idea. Do you? I don't know. I don't know. Hundreds? Yeah, it's got to be hundreds. I mean, every everywhere you go, you see them, and every team's like you just went through the the Tigers. Yeah, you could, Right, 30 teams in Major League Baseball, they all have about five or four, so at least 100, and, and that's not including the independents and all things like that, so just it's 120 to 150 teams around the country. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's why they have the, the, the 60-man roster now, they get their prize. I, I think, like, the, the Tigers, I, I thought that I, I read that, like, the, like, Torkelson and, you know, some of the other pitching prospects, the guys that don't make the uh, initial – you know they're they're going to start out with sixty, but they're going to have to pare that down from sixty to thirty to twenty eight to twenty six. The other guys are going to be maybe at like fifth, third ballpark, just playing like inner, I guess you'd call it inner squad. You know, practice games, inner squad games, right? Yeah, that's what they're going to be doing. I don't. And you know, Although even that, 
even that, you know, every time we talk about doing these organized activities, okay, you got to remember the support people that you got to bring in to do it. And that's more people exposed, more people who might be carriers. Uh, I know a lot of these, look, by the time we get the 23rd of July, when we're supposed to start Major League Baseball, there's going to be a lot more ballplayers that are just going to bug out of this. Yeah. That's, just, that's just human nature, that they're going to be scared to play. Their families aren't going to want them to do it. Who's in? We've already heard Charlie Black, but a couple other guys where he said, no, I'm not doing it. The NBA is the same way. The NBA and NHL, we can't even talk. I, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you have two sports that sweat all over each other. That's a that's a petri dish, even in good times, that you're gonna you're gonna let, allow that to happen even with no fans. I, I don't know how they do that, but uh, you, uh, you, uh, it's the battle between not making any money and having a life and battling the fact that we got to stay as safe as possible. I just don't know how, where that, I don't know who makes those decisions. Who's going to be responsible for all that? Who's going to be responsible if someone gets really sick or worse? Who's going to be, who's going to take that responsibility? You know, we're talking about these governors around the country. And I've kind of begged off talking about all this because the wind is out of my sails ever since it started mid-March, but because it's Dennis Fifty and I'm talking about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> and you know you? what, Mark? I appreciate it. We talk so much like these, you know, we know they have these startup dates. I mean, you just mentioned the, the dates and the rosters, and we're getting ready, and they're going to go to spring slash summer training, whatever else. But you're right. I mean, they can stay in all the bubbles they want, but the cooks, the trainers, and all the other people aren't. And what you're talking about is – not only somebody getting sick or something worse, and then when that happens, is that just like okay? Well, the, you know, the the trainer's grandfather passed away from Corona. I mean, and is this is it going to take uh, you know two three type uh, situations like Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Uh, like that's a hard like when you're starting to talk about uh, how what's the number? Is it just one? Like so, but that's what we do. We're talking about numbers. People talk about uh, hospitalizations, mortality, uh, tracing. You know whether it's that big of a deal, whether it's not all that big of a deal, not that big of a deal if you're a certain age. So, I mean, it's so much unknown here. They're going to try, and, and we, we have to and Dennis, but that's why, But that's why my thing at the beginning was, throughout this whole thing with governors and this and that and, 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 and the politicos, who's going to, and all the way up to the president, who's going to really be the one to give the okay? Is it going to be Fauci? Who's it going to be the World Health Organization? Going to be the CDC? Who's going to give the go-aheads? Who's going to who's going to take responsibility for that? Because you're 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 in awfully dangerous territory if you're the one responsible on something you don't know anything about. And that's why I bring up the idea that when I did with minor league ball, the same thing with major league baseball in, in 23 days. It's not just about the guys that are playing. They have to eat. Clothes have to be washed. All these support people, who's going to feed them? You know, I've actually heard a rumor that people sometimes eat more than once a day. Yeah, well, we see right? all of those different... Do all that. Yeah, well, we've seen who is involved in, in the NBA coming in, masseuses, trainers, everything else. Uh, you, you do wonder if, if those, the, the training or support staff, you know, just how, I mean, does it come down to an ironclad waiver that you have to sign if you're a cook? Like, all right, or or maybe they give them thirty thousand dollars to to stay in the bubble. I don't like. I don't know if that's even possible if they could do that. But you're right. I don't care if you sign some your your life away, and you know you're. If it ends up happening, there's somebody. There's going to be some lawsuits, and that could shut everything down very quickly. I think of the pros. 
they're going to give it a go because of of all of the money at stake and and just the the appetite I think for half of America that wants to see it and they're going to they're going to roll the dice but I, you know and then you know college is sitting there and I think you know Governor Whitmer today uh, waved off fall sports uh, in, for contact which you know that that's football for you so that's where we're sitting here today that's where it's at well I didn't see that you're saying that. The state of Michigan right now will not play high school football this year? I saw just before I called you, Ryan Ermani at your old Fox 2 was uh, tweeting that she had said, I, she, I, she called it contact sports oh. in the fall. That's football. Right. So if, you're, if they're making that decision, well, she, said, she tends to be making decisions earlier than other states. So that's interesting. That's I, as I said, I, like you, when you called, I haven't looked at any news since. And Lord knows, when a half an hour goes by, lots, you're missing a lot. Um, that's well, but that we're already talking about it here. You know, Bishop Gorman was talking about it here in Nevada about not already not playing. That Bishop Gorman, the famous Las Vegas Bishop Gorman, who's been one of the top teams in the United States for years. Um, was talking already about not fielding a team because their parents are, are they're very nervous. They don't even want to think about it. They don't want to think about practice right now. They don't want to think about getting their kids prepared. I, I live really around the corner from Bishop Gorman. I go sometimes and watch their games and uh, they've won like 11 straight Nevada state championships, uh, but also been number one in the United States. So you're talking right. I've got it right over here. I mean, I could literally take the phone right now, walk you over there while you were on the phone and you still wouldn't want to end the podcast yet. So I'm that close to Gorman. So it's it's interesting to see how they're handling it because it doesn't get bigger than Bishop Gorman in the United States as a high school football. Well, Mark, you know, you know, the argument is you like the you know high school or under twenty that it it doesn't seem to have uh, a mortality rate and that you know they can recover for it. But there's an, an asterisk next to that. We don't know for sure. And if those kids are silent carriers and they're taking that home to their parents or grandparents or anybody else, they're going to be around. Uh, are they making these kids going to sign some ironclad waiver that they're not suing anybody? I mean, that, that doesn't seem like. Uh, well, Dennis, I'd like to bring this up to you then because my nephew got it. Okay. Yeah. My great nephew, 20 year old kid. I want to describe him if you don't mind. 20-year-old kid, one of the top pitchers in the state of Illinois, went to my former high school in Illinois. He ended up going to Vanderbilt with his brothers. My, both my nephews are at Vanderbilt. My Actually, my older nephew just graduated master's program, so he's just done like in the last two months. And my other nephew is now a sophomore. He had planned on this year being a year to go out. He was going to take a year off from the baseball and give it a whirl. Now Vandy's the national champion, so that's a pretty big road to hoe, but he's a pretty good pitcher. So he's 20 years old, perfect shape, 4% body fat, never sick a day in his life. He got it. I don't think Ben would mind me telling this. So every time I, I'm just going to tell you, Dennis, it took a, I don't want to swear on your podcast. It took a freaking toll. Okay. That kid does not look the same anymore. And he is still struggling. He's getting better. Okay. He's going to be okay. We think he's been going through this for months. But he is COVID-19 100% positive. 73 kids at Vanderbilt tested positive for this. These are 20-year-olds. These are in-shape people. Young, energetic, in-shape people. But my nephew especially. Every time I see him, like he's driving with my my sister and my brother-in-law, I have to know how he's doing. I'll say, Benji, let me take a look. When I tell... 
he looks like he's 50 years old, dude. Wow. He is, he's got, he never could grow a beard. <laughs> now he's got this beard. He's just, I mean, he's, as I said, I want to, I want to make it clear. He's getting better, but it has been a horrific road for him. So do I, this is when I started not taking this lightly. Okay. It's when somebody, you know, gets it. Yeah. And yeah. I got my own nephew. My great nephew has it. My terrific nephew has never in my recollection, never really had a, sick day in his life not not bad or maybe a little flu at some point in 20 years but that's what COVID-19 kind of ravaged him for the last three to four months so don't say that young people don't get it people because I'm here to tell you my young guy got it yeah well it's a it's a good anecdotal story there Mark for sure it was just Rudy Gobert yesterday I mean NBA players are in pretty good shape and it's been over three and a half months and he was still talking about complications from one of his set. He couldn't smell, didn't have a smell back. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. And in one hand, it's very hard to, to, to think about like high school. I, you understand that you understand that people want to, you know, get out there. But and the same thing at college, I think they're going to try it in the pros, but man, it's, uh, it's kind of, the, we've been singing the same tune for, uh, for weeks, if not months here, talking about this part part here well i wanted to end this on on a good on a good note go ahead mark i cut you off uh no it's (laughs) i don't know look um i know your situation right now and i i i don't do a lot of radio stuff it was my choice when i came here i've done some i las vegas is a terrible media town dennis it's like i I give props to the people in alpena it's a better media town than las vegas is um it's really it's getting it's going to get a little better because the Raiders so they hired a you know TV. There's two TV stations here. Don't even do a nightly sportscast. Wow. Radio is I don't even want to start with you on how the radio is. There's the three stations owned by Lotus. When I came out here, I did a few shows because I was asked to, uh, but I did not come out here to do media. I have I have other stuff I do. I did not come out here to be on the radio here or on television here. Nothing. Um, the only thing I will do is national stuff. Rob's, you know, nice enough. Sometimes he'll call me. I'll be on his Fox Sports show. Bernie Fratto, I'm on his Fox Sports show occasionally. But I didn't do that. And the reason I'm telling you this is, uh, is because, first of all, that has to be better. But also, when this started, I really didn't have a want to talk about this. I didn't know what – I said, I don't, I don't want to do this. Ever. I wouldn't want – I don't know how y'all – we're doing five days a week are going to handle this with no sports. All right. The PGA tour is back. There's some auto racing. Okay. You know, you know what that would, how many, how many shows did you do on auto racing in the PGA tour at 97? One Dennis, zero. I'll wait and listen to you. Yeah. One or zero. two, one or two or zero. <laughs> zero. <laughs> zero. <laughs> no, you're right. Well, people like to complain and there's, there's plenty to complain about. So I think they have that. <laughs> well, they do, but there is reason to complain. I guess I got to give them some credit for complaining. So I didn't want to do that. So we have been talking about it for a long time because it has now been a long time. I mean, I can't believe, you know, I say this all the time. It's hard to believe now that the last spring training, before we get going here in this baseball thing, if that happens, the last spring training game, I believe, was the Tigers and the Braves. In Northport, Florida, that beautiful new facility, Cool Park Stadium, where it was called, in front of 9,000 people all on top of each other, it was packed that day. Tigers lost, what a shock, 5-3. to three. And then that, as soon as that ended, all the Arizona games were canceled. So if you, had a, if you had a trivia question, what was the last game before everything shut down? It was the Tigers and the Braves. That was already spring training 2020, and it now seems like that was three years ago. 
Doesn't it? Doesn't yes. it seem like forever ago now? Yes. Yeah, it does. March 11th. Like yes. when golf when golf came back at the Colonial a couple weeks ago, uh, June, June 11th, the last previous tournament that had been played was day one of the Players' Championship. Hideki Matsuyama shot a 63, blah, 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 in front of a gallery of about 50,000 people all on top of each other. And that almost seems like crazy to think. But that was just in March. That wasn't in March of 18. It was March of 2020. So it isn't even that long ago. But it all seems like it's that long ago now because everybody's had to talk about it every day in and day out. Yeah, well, last year I went to the state fairgrounds, took a bus to the Detroit Golf Club to watch the Rocket Mortgage uh, Classic, the the first one. And there we go. It was so you, packed. You, you... They're back this year, so it's gonna be it's gonna oh. be weird, weird watching it. Coming Thursday. That's right. That's that's what I'll be watching. I haven't watched much sports at all. I mean, there haven't there hasn't been much, but I, and I haven't watched much, so. That's look, it. But, but uh, Dennis, look, um, Nick Watney got it. Nick Watney tested positive. Nick Watney lives here. He lives probably 10 minutes from me. He's uh, here in Henderson slash Las Vegas. Nick Watney's from me. He got it. So he was already subject to, he had to leave. And and, and Rory McIlroy was starting got, got, started getting nervous. So one play, it's, again, it's about that one guy, and Nick Watney actually tested positive. So he actually bugged out of the tournament, the one, uh, no, this week, with Travelers. First yeah. round, I don't even remember anymore. But Nick got that thing. So, you know, once you start hearing names that you know, guys who've won PGA tournaments or guys who've been, you know, I, I said, all it's going to take, I don't want to mention names, I want to jinx them, but we know the names. All it's going to take is a couple of big baseball players, or a couple, and, and that's going to be the end of it. That's going to shut it down. It's just going to stop. So you, know, you hope it doesn't happen, but... It's it's more than likely that it will. And I don't know what to say about all that. That's why I said to people, the wind is out of my sails. I, I couldn't sit here and do radio for five. This is the first thing I've done in a while, just because you asked. And, and I respect you a lot. And I, I said, you know what, I'll, I'll do Dennis's thing. I mean, I've had a couple of, I mean, I, I turned everything down. I, was, I just, I said, what am I going to talk about? What do you want to talk about? How terrible this is? Okay. okay, it's terrible. Now, next, what do you want to talk about now? Think it'll come back? I don't know. Next, I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Well, uh, what was I, the good thing you wanted to end it on? <laughs> well, well, you know what? I just wanted to tell you that that I was just I was thinking about you, and and then I, you know, I knew you were coming on, and I was thinking, yeah, I probably remember Mark for the first time on on two or sixty two, but I, I think maybe the the telethon, the Labor Day uh, telethons that you used to do was that was that before I did that two or or was that I did that. No, no, I did that for a quarter century. I did that when I was at Channel. I started. Uh, Joe Glover, who's passed away, was the uh, host. And one day he walks into the sports office and says, I'm giving you two things. I look up and I went, Okay, what, what do we got? He gave me his letter holder. Back in the day, it was like a thing with a stick on it. And you'd put like messages, you'd put the messages on it. And I said, What's the second thing? He goes, I'm giving you the telethon. I said, what are you giving me? I I said, what's going on? He goes, they just fired me. It was the day he got fired. But he wanted to make sure that someone was going to do the telethon, in his opinion, in in good hands. So I I started co-hosting the telethon from that day forward all the way until it's finished in 2000. 
what was that, 14? Even I was good. I, I came out here to do a radio show in 10 11. I don't know if you remember that. I came out here with Jessica Hall. We did an uh, entertainment show. We had a great time. Loved it. Uh, we ended it, and then I came back to Detroit. So I never missed a telethon. And I did that for about 25 years consistently. I'm, I appreciate you bringing it up because that's my, that if I did anything good in my life, it was raise money for those unbelievable kids and those families. I love them to this day. It brings a tear to my eye to talk about them. And that the telephone is no longer with us is very bothersome to me. Well, you, you, you did a good job there. You did a great job here. I, I expected that. Uh, I appreciate it. I've always appreciated uh, your humor and knowledge. And, and thanks so much for, for giving me so much time here uh, today, Mark. And, uh, and all the best well, to Dennis, you. I always wish you the I, I, I want to say, you know, people listening, I want to, I, you're one of those guys that I really, I, I think really made his hey, and I'm really proud of you for that. And I think that you've got a long career yet to go. And uh, uh, it was, it's, this has been fun to actually be, in fact, I'm doing a show with Dennis Smith, and I'm very happy about that. It's a nice treat, Dennis. It was a nice treat. <laughs> it, it was for me too, Mark. Uh, all the best. Hopefully uh, we'll talk again someday. Like very I, good. I, Thank you, podcast. Dennis. All right. See you, Mark. The man. See you later. There he is. The, the man, Mark Wilson. Take care. Podcast. For today. Bye.